another episode of Setting the Tone, an ER retrospective, the show where we do a chronological breakdown of every episode of our favorite TV medical drama. My name is Elizabeth, and with me today, as always, are Lauren. Ahoy hoy. And Daniel. Hey. Today we'll be discussing Season 2, Episode 17, which is titled The Match Game. The episode aired on March 28, 1996. Lauren, what was going on that week 24 years ago? Oh boy, we've got some goodies this week, gang. Um... Children's lives are forever changed as Pokemon Red and Green debut in Japan. The games wouldn't reach American stores until September of 1998, and European stores in October of 1999. It really took that much longer to get to Europe? Yep. Localization was apparently a bitch back then, or they just didn't care as much. I don't know. Still. Ugh. My childhood. I'm just happy for the days where Animal Crossing is released worldwide on the same day now. (laughs) Just so great. Um... I have to ask, did both of you play red or blue? I played blue. I had red, um, and my but my battery in the game, the the battery backup was defective, so it would auto <gasps> re it would auto wipe my game every time I turned my Game Boy off. So that oh. was, I, I didn't get to really enjoy Pokemon until Yellow came out. Oh, I'm sorry. Oh, yeah. oh it sucks. That is a deep personal tragedy. Um, yeah. The 38th annual Grammy Awards took place with Kiss from a Rose by Seal as both record and song of the year. Jagged Little Pill by Alanis Morissette is album of the year. And Hootie and the Blowfish <laughs> are awarded best new artist. Now, I have to ask, what's the difference between record of the year and album of the year? I honestly couldn't tell you. I was in the music. Or record, no, record of the year. I think is like an EP or something. I don't know exactly. Yeah, that's a good question. I don't know because it's only individual songs that are record of the year. Like when I was looking at the. So to be a single, maybe. Maybe. Like yeah. single, like like you know how a single will sometimes have a B side. Like maybe it's. Uh, I don't know. Fellow mu- fellow music industry alums, help me with what I've forgotten. Um, and the 68th annual Academy Awards were this week with best picture being Braveheart, best actor being Nick Cage for Leaving Las Vegas, and best actress being Susan Sarandon for Dead Man Walking. Honestly, if you would have asked me if if Nick Cage had any any Academy Awards, especially a best actor one, I would have been like <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, he would. There was a time about there... this time here where he was not a joke. He was hot. He was hot shit. No, I'm yeah. aware. I'm I'm gonna say shamelessly that I enjoy National Treasure and um, Lord of War is actually also a really good movie. The Birdcage claims its third box office win in a row. This is one of my favorite movies of all time. And Canada has once again saved us all as "Because You Loved Me" by Celine Dion is the number one song. Ugh. We are freed from our Mariah Carey and Boys to Men tyranny this week, folks. Thank God. Although I wonder how long it'll be before we're tired of Celine Dion. Because I think we're we're heading into prime Salim Dion territory. Well, I don't know. It's ninety six, early ninety six. Oh, oh, trust me. Once we hit season three, we're gonna yeah. have another another monster coming up. I won't spoil what it is. I bet but I know. I was gonna say Titanic's coming in ninety seven. I know Celine Dion's got to be all over it then. Well, think September nineteen ninety six, and oh, think dances. That's all. That's all oh, I'll say. No. Oh, I already know what it is. Fuck. All right, um, so this week we hold strong with our 36 million viewers that we had last week. No change there. Uh, this week's episode is directed by the best director name out of all of them, Tommy Schlamy. Uh, <laughs> this is his second of three episodes that he would direct. Uh, he also directed The Secret Sharer earlier this year. Uh, and he's also a longtime producer on The West Wing, which might explain why we Woo! have so many West Wing connections in this episode. Lots and lots of West Wing peeps in this one. Um, and then this week's episode is written by Neil Bear, who also wrote Hell and High Water from this season, which might help to explain the frenetic nature of this episode. So Jesus lots, of, Christ. lots of connections going in and out here. But yeah. yeah, this one feels like less, just even before we even get started, this one feels like less like an episode and more just like a series of shorts. Like, does that? Yes. Yeah. Yeah, it's very frenetic, very, I don't know. It, it's hard to describe. One of the weirder ones we've had so far, I think. Okay, so we open with Bad to the Bone playing and Mark riding with his new bike with a helmet. Um, Jerry greets him as he pulls into the ambulance bay with How's the Biker Life? And as Mark is taking off his helmet, he responds, Jerry, I feel like a hell's angel. And Lizzie emphatically noted he has the goatee. He has the motherfucking thing. (laughs) Jesus Christ. I was wondering when it would show up. The first line of my note says, oh no, the goatee. (laughs) I don't mind it. 
I literally uh, took a picture and sent it to sent it to uh, Daniel and our popular court co-host Jake Terrell. <laughs> I love that we drop his full name every time we do that. Um, <laughs> we don't talk about our full names on this show, but we just drop Jake's all the time. Yeah. Um, He's going to be a lawyer. Whatever. It's <laughs> fine. But yeah, so Mark has his goatee, also wearing contacts, and Jerry responds, I hate to break it to you, Dr. G, but an angel wouldn't be caught dead on a rice burner. Which feels vaguely racist. A little. Like, is that like... I'm assuming he's saying that it's a Japanese-made motorcycle. Yeah. Yeah. It's more the fact that it's more more of an Asian uh, motorbike than an actual motorcycle. Fair enough. Yeah. Just uh, green. You're you're in full midlife crisis mode. Like the goatee, he's earned it. The motorcycle, the contacts. Like he's got all of it. Soon he'll be da- soon he'll be dating a nurse. It'll be a thing. <laughs> oh boy. Uh, so we go from there. Um, we hear from Lydia that uh, Malik and Wendy are out sick. So uh, we're gonna be a little shorthanded on nurses this episode. Uh, she. Asks, she notices Mark is wearing contacts, and he's like, yeah, I thought I'd try him out. Um, Mark tells her to call the nurse temp agency to get some people into staff uh, in Malik and Wendy's absence. Um, we find out that Doug and Mark are going to be going to a jazz club tonight, and Jerry tries to get himself invited and gets absolutely shut down by Doug. It is actually Fuck. quite sad. Like, he just wants to hang out with his bros. But yeah, he's just like, I'm sure there's a good game on TV for you, big guy. Ugh, That's rude. Right? Rude. Like, Jerry would be a great person to bring to a jazz club. I bet Jerry's classy as fuck. I mean, think about the cigars and, yeah. I'm, I'm picturing, like, a, a Ron Swanson-esque, like, dual identity thing where Jerry has his own jazz persona. <laughs> I could see it. Uh, so then from there, we go over to uh, Hicks and Benton talking as they scrub into a surgery. Um, Vuslich's study was published, uh, did they say, like, today or, like... I think it's, like, this week or something. Yeah, recently. Um, and Benton says that he's glad his name wasn't on it because it's a sham. So throwing lots of shade uh, at Dr. Buslich there, you know, behind his back. And uh, Hicks tells him to just keep his goddamn mouth shut if he's not prepared to take it to the ethics committee and back and back it up. So, which you can't because he got kicked off the study before he could validate stuff fully. So. Yeah, I think it's really brazen of him to just be talking about it out loud to Hicks like that after they already had that conversation a few weeks ago. Yeah. Like, my dude, you already lost. <laughs> Quit eating your sour grapes. Go about your day. It's true. Um, From there, we pivot into some really gross vomiting noises in the bathroom. <laughs> and we see Carter is puking his guts out with Harper just hanging out behind him. And he's like, it wasn't my breakfast. Um, he's freaking out because the the hospital matches come out today for um, for assignments for where he's going to get placed. And he really, really wants to keep working at county. Envelopes are handed out at 9 a.m. sharp. What time is it? And Harper goes, oh, it's 8.15. And he just starts puking again. Uh, and then after that, we go over to, oh, we got some audio for you. We got uh, Chloe is uh, at Doc Magoo's. And we know she's a brunette now, if that matters to folks. <laughs> doesn't but i just thought it was <laughs> worth noting it's my fashion watch well there you go hey thanks for coming i got five minutes oh you didn't bring her no hi what can i get you nothing okay i don't blame you for hating me when i left last year i was so screwed up I was, I, I was either going to kill myself or turn it around. What kept me going was thinking about Susie. Yeah, right. It's different this time. I, I, uh, I, I got into a program, and I've been clean for five months. I bet. And I got engaged. He's <laughs> a great guy, Susie. Congratulations. If she had to work, what is it you wanted? I want to be a mother to my daughter. Well, that's too damn bad, because you abandoned your child. And that's the best thing that ever happened to her. Susie, wait! Susie, please! 
please, come on, you can't keep her away from me. She's my baby. Yeah, how do we feel about how stern Susan's being with Chloe about this? Uh, I mean, it's not unwarranted. Yeah. I mean, the lady was fucking high and abandoned her baby. Yeah. Right? You, you can't really get much worse than that. Not to mention her track record in general. Yeah. So it's, I think, I think Susan's fully within her, is being fully reasonable here. Guilty until proven innocent. Yeah. I feel like that's a totally valid line of play in this scenario. Yeah. And all, I mean, all of the previous like instances of her showing back, like blowing back into Susan's life and kind of causing chaos, like it's always been just a one for one transaction, you know, like there's never been somebody else to consider. And now that there's like mm-hmm. a, an actual child involved now, it's like, no, 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 no. Like you don't get to just come in and like destroy things and like run up credit card debt and then blow out of town in a blaze of glory. Like it's there's a child to consider now and so susan's trying to provide that level of stability for little Susie, and i think it's i think it's good for her to put her foot down it you know it might not be the the nicest thing in the world to do but it's it Mm -hmm. is what's in the best interest of the the child i was going to make a gilmore girls joke about her engagement but i'm not you know uh, jake's not here (laughs) (laughs) and i don't know if lizzie got far enough to appreciate the joke i was gonna make so i'll just Eh, kind of petered out wasn't the biggest fan of that show so I'll just sit and enjoy it in my silence. So then we go in with some bangs. This time, no, no Susan twinkles in no. the bangs. Bangs were warranted here, I think. So then we get a very interesting shot where a woman is walking in, panning up from her feet up to her head. And it's it looks like Wendy's uniform, but we see it's Carol in the sweater and white tights and skirt <laughs> outfit. And Carol walks up to the admin desk and immediately just says, don't say anything. The temp agency makes us wear them. Um, We find out she's picking up shifts through the temp agency because the ER has cut her shifts so much and she's got to pay her mortgage. Um, And by by the board with all of the patients on it, there is an employee of the month bulletin. And Doug points out that Jeannie has been made employee of the month. And I had to ask, has that board always been there? If it has been, we've never yeah. seen seen a reference. It's never. It's yeah. There's definitely never been any attention drawn to it. So yes, the the genie and Carol rivalry is about to escalate even further. Also, does this mean Wendy's a temp? I don't think so. Maybe though. Yeah, I don't think so. She we we've confirmed in another episode she's a nurse's aide or something like yeah. that. But but it, that she may work th- for, through this agency. Yeah, could be. All right, and then after that, uh, we have Susan telling the daycare team real quick just to keep an eye out for Chloe. Don't want her poking around. Um, And to page Susan if uh, Chloe does end up getting into the building and getting close to Susie and just to make sure that security knows, too. So Susan is not fucking around at all. And then we coat over from there to we get uh, Mark's first patient of the episode, Mr. Bartoli. Uh, And he's probably best known as uh, Toby Ziegler from uh, The West Wing. As I said uh, at the top, we're going to have quite a few West Wing connections in this episode. Um, The actor playing Mr. Bartoli here is an actor named Richard Schiff, um, who, as we said, appeared in West Wing, as well as Man of Steel, Jurassic World, and Seven. Um, He's being seen for chest pain here. Uh, Turns out he's been using Dr. Joe's prolonging cream, which keeps him, quote, going all night. Uh, Mark asks him how much he used, and he just pulls out this very, like, shriveled up, gross looking empty tube and he, he used the whole oh. damn tube uh he says he kind of leans over to mark and kind of whispers to him he's like it helps guys like us make the grade and mark's like what do you mean guys like us like you freak i don't know <laughs> he's like i don't want to i don't want to be like lumped in with you and he's like you know bald guys babes know we have more testosterone they expect more and this kind of sets up the running joke throughout the episode that uh you know deepening the midlife crisis mark is going through here that he now is a little bit more aware of his hair loss and i think i am too because i finally looked at his head and i was like oh shit he has lost a lot of hair since episode or uh, since season one like he never has a ton of hair in the show but like he has noticeably less now than he did at the uh the start of season one well it's you don't have the glasses to uh take your focus away it's true from the head. yeah I don't mind the contacts look. I hate it. It doesn't bother okay, me as much then. as the goatee. <laughs> the goatee just yeah. The whole thing. The, the whole, whole ensemble. Thing is just a goddamn is, mess. Yeah. I don't hate it. I'll just be in my corner over here. I don't hate it. Is it because you think he has more testosterone? I'm sure that's exactly <laughs> it's the virility. It. He and Toby's. He and Toby Ziegler just need to go out on a night on the town. 
Um, all right, so we have our <laughs> we have our next scene is uh, Carter sitting on the stairwell and uh, Harper coming down to say hello to him. So let's listen into that. Oh no. Bad news. No news. Hicks is late. Should I grab an emesis basin? No, I'm all right. Resign myself to the painful truth. What are you talking about? I don't deserve to match here. I don't. I've been so wrapped up in the competition that I lost sight of what it's all about. Become this brown-nosing procedure whore. Treating patients like guinea pigs. I've been dishonest. I've been arrogant. I've been... Jump in if you disagree. No, no, you've been a real schmuck. I know. But no more. From now on, patients come first. Yeah, okay. Yeah, we'll see how long that lasts. <laughs> I almost wonder, like, is this supposed to be, like, his, like, denouement after being an asshole for the last like is this supposed to sum up the whole carter was an asshole angle and now he's turned over a new leaf spoiler not 100 percent really like is that what that's supposed to serve as i guess i think it's supposed to be a tongue-in-cheek version of it yeah i was so excited for a minute because i was like yay carter's pulled his head out of his ass things are gonna be fine <laughs> oh sweet summer child um but then we get on to the first big patient of the episode um it's it's a young man and his grandfather. The young man is um, on the gurney and the grandfather is walking in with him. And the grandfather says, on our way to school, the guy ran a red light. And um, the grandfather's name, is he's referred to as Mr. Bowman. I don't know if we ever get the grandson's first name. Uh, I want, we do, but I didn't write it down. And I'm trying to remember off the top of my head what it is. It's something like Randy, maybe? That sounds familiar. Know. But any, anyway, um, the grandfather... Grandfather's the the important one here. He's the one we deal with most often, um, and he's kind of our next. Oh, hey, it's that guy, um, and also our next West Wing connection, um, an actor named Bill Cobbs. Uh, he had a, uh, appearances in a lot of different things. He has over a hundred and ninety credits dating back to nineteen seventy four. Uh, he Damn. appeared in Demolition Man, uh, one of my favorite nineties uh, movies, That Thing You Do, uh, The Sopranos, and West Wing, as I mentioned. Um, and I also noticed here that once again, we have patients coming from the quote unquote main entrance that are being brought into the ER out of the elevator. What the fuck? Can I get a map of the hospital, please? Like, I don't understand why we have patients that are coming. Supposedly they got dropped off at the main entrance, but they're coming out of the elevator. I don't understand. Like, is the ER in the basement? I don't think it is. No. Something, something, parking garage, something, something. I don't know. <laughs> that would be the only Chicago explanation for it. Yeah. I don't know. Um... The explanation is the goddamn TV show, Daniel. I, okay. And yet, I'll, and, I get, and yet I'll bitch plenty about Chicago geography. So I bitch about Chicago geography. You guys bitch about uh, hospital banana. geography and, <laughs> and throw away throw away sayings that have been hey, around forever. Hey, are you bringing hey, it up? Are you hey, bringing it up? Hey, right on cue when we were watching when Lauren and I were watching an episode of West Wing before. Someone mentioned. Someone used the phrase "second banana," <laughs> I and screamed. I just went. And I was like, "I fucking told you so! I fucking fucking told you so!" I don't know how I've erased that phrase from my memory because I have definitely watched all of West Wing before, yeah. and it just like. I don't know what to tell you. It's a thing. It's it's not. <laughs> You're all imagining it. The Bartlett banana. administration says it's a thing. Uh, we move on to the next patient, uh, Freddie Robinson. Uh, the, is the driver that hit the people, ran into three different cars on Racine Avenue, and Shep brings him in with Riley, and Riley is flubbing it. Yeah. <laughs> Taking his legs. To put it nicely. He's the, he's the babyface paramedic that we've seen for a couple episodes now. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and he seems extra babyface in this one. Mm-hmm. Like I think because Shep is just like, A, he seems like he's back on his feet very quickly, and... Yeah, I wonder if a few and weeks such. have gone by since the last episode. Yeah, because we did have a month gap in real time in between the between the last episode where Raul died and this one, mm-hmm. so maybe it, that's like the approximation of, I don't know. It seems like with Shep's injuries, it would take a lot, much longer than a month to come back for them and do paramedic work. Yeah. But what do I know? I work retail. so. <laughs> but yeah, Riley is very unsure of himself and... And it, it, it and sort of makes a fool out of himself in front of Shep, and Shep admonishes him. Shep is having none of this. Yeah. So then we cut over from there. Uh, Carter is trying to, as he mentioned earlier, he's trying to turn over a new leaf, trying to be better. So he offers to take Lydia's patient to the bathroom. She's wheeling a guy down the hallway. Um, he's not a patient we go anywhere with. 
um, we see uh, Mr. Bowman, who uh, we met earlier, coming back into the trauma without being fully checked out. Like, he's got, like, a cut on his head that needs stitches and everything, but he's like, nah, fuck that. I want to see what's wrong with my grandson. So he just barges into the trauma room. Uh, we also see a patient, Barry Meeks, an eight-year-old who was cut out of the back seat uh, in the same accident. Um, don't really get much follow-up with Barry. Um, we don't really see much of what happens with him, I don't think. But we do have a brief follow-up with uh, the driver, Freddie Robinson. Uh, turns out he decapitated a pedestrian when he T-boned the other cars. How does that even happen? Uh, I'm... I can only imagine he was driving so fast that he hit someone and the force like was and the force was great enough to take off the person's head. I don't know. That's not how that works. I don't think I, I don't know how physics. <laughs> yeah. We're not made of Legos. Our heads don't just snap I off. I don't know. <laughs> like I said, I work retail. I'm not a paramedic. I'm not a medical person. I'm not a medical person. I love you. I'm barely qualified to treat a first uh, someone's cut. <laughs> Uh, but the but the guy has a ton of track marks, but he insists he's clean, and the track and they look kind of fresh. They look like they're very, kind of just recently scabbed over. Very good makeup work. Yeah. So as they're examining Mr. Robinson, they bring in his films, and I noticed that there are mystery films up up in both the yellow and green trauma rooms, and they hold his films up like to the to the exam light, not to the board. As they're trying to look and see what's wrong with him. And I just noticed you wouldn't have to put them up to the trauma room lights if the board was empty. You could put them where they go. It makes for a cool POV shot, though. It sure does. But if they didn't have these mystery scans everywhere, they could actually use the lights the way they're meant to be used. We find out his he has a high blood alcohol content at 0.322 and cocaine is present in his system. And that seemed really fast for talk screen results yeah. to me. Yeah. Like, they're wheeling him in, and they're already reading his results. And um, and they get him all taken care of, and I think it's Susan who says, yeah, great, I just saved the life of a murderer. Like, she's just not having a good day. Um, then uh, Gover, Carter uh, gets his patient, for the ep- his patient for the episode. Guy is wheezing, has potential asthma, and the, he's, he's being really like, oh, no, I don't know why I came in. Like, I, I, I need to go. I have... What does he say he's doing? He's up. Exactly. He's a lawyer. He's um, he's up, up for, for partner. a partner yeah. at the law firm. So he's he's grinding. He's, he needs to file a brief or something like that. Um, some lawyer stuff. I don't know. Refer all your law <laughs> questions to Jake on the Popular Court. Um, but yeah, but Carter's just like, oh no, you're here now. Why don't you let me run a few quick tests? Quick being the operative word there that we'll pay attention to. Then we cut over from there. We cut back over to the uh, Bowman kid who we find out uh, has a potential osteosarcoma on his leg. It's a form of cancer. Uh, Doug was, uh, his doctor saw him back in November um, when he originally broke his leg and he somehow didn't catch the beginnings of the tumor. Um, Benton notices this and brings it to Mark and Mark tells Benton not to tell the family and that he'll take it from there. Uh, Good luck with that. Ugh, this whole thing. Um, but then we find out Carter's match has arrived. He got county. Mm-hmm. Excitement. Lizzie, you're not sharing your excitement. I'll be excited when he actually gets it. Fair. All right. Because I know what happens in this episode. Fair. Uh, Lydia brings Hugo back for spring cleaning, and Hugo is one of the many homeless um, individuals that the nursing staff helps take care of when they come into the ER and they all argue over who's going to clean him. And it's really rude. They do this right in front of him. Yeah. Like Lydia bring wheels him back and in front of him says, Hugo's here for spring cleaning. And then she, Carol and, um, Halle, I think. Yeah. Mm -hmm. I'll argue about who's going to clean him. I think they do rock, paper, scissors. And he goes, (laughs) I appreciate Hugo. He goes, Hey ladies, there's enough of me to go around. And then Carol or Jeannie walks up and Carol's like, oh, Jeannie, you, you know, can you help us clean Hugo or whatever? And Jeannie just goes, no, that's a nurse's job. Yikes. And it's really unlike Jeannie. Like, we haven't seen her for a couple episodes, but she just comes off real frosty this episode. And I don't know if it's just because we primarily see her interacting with Carol. Yeah. She comes off a little frosty, but, but Carol also comes off a little catty. Like, they... Their yeah. their relationship in this episode, I feel like they've 
they've upped the tension level between the two of them quite a bit es- mm-hmm. escalated that quite a bit but uh hugo here is played by an actor named michael mcshane who you may recognize from robin hood uh the kevin costner one uh office space uh, he did a voice in A Bug's Life, and uh, he was, <laughs> I don't know why, but this is the stupidest like 90s trivia ever, but he was the character Lloyd in the uh, Lawrence Brothers vehicle, the seminal brotherly love, which I believe aired on either Fox or might have been WB in for 40 episodes between like 1997 and 98, and that's what I remember him from most most prominently. I can still picture that goofy hairy bastard to this day he was also in richie rich was he who was he in richie rich he was the scientist in richie rich oh shit you're right yep um who was he in office space he is a doctor it's been a while since i have watched office space oh is he the hypnotist yeah he's the the hypnotist who who croaks yeah yep you're right i'm picturing the hand motion now yep you're right deeper and deeper Deeper, yep, you're right. I'm trying to think who he is in Bugs Life now, but that's uh, for Bugs another Life, time. Bugs Life, he was the um, the flea, not fleas, but like the little roly polies. Oh, okay. The dude, like the gymnastic I watch routine. Bugs Life. So after that, uh, we have our next audio clip. Uh, Jerry is asking Susan to talk to Freddie Robinson's mother. Ah, uh, Doctor Lewis. Yes. Can you talk to that lady? Who is she? The mother of the junkie that ran the red light. Ma'am, I'm Doctor Lewis. You worked on my son? Yes, I did. They told me you saved his life. Thank you. Did they tell you what happened? Uh, yeah, some idiot crashed into him. No, he ran a red light. There were eyewitnesses. Your son was under the influence of alcohol and cocaine. My son doesn't use drugs. Tell it to the police. The police? Yeah, his talk screen was positive. You reported him? It's required by the law. The test was wrong. Your son was drunk, coked out of his mind, got behind the wheel, put three people in the hospital, and killed a little girl. (gasps) Good Foley work on that slap. I find it interesting that we don't really go any further with this story thread. Like, you would think based on how much she reacts here that it would build to something, but she slaps Susan and then just leaves and we don't see her or the son again. Yeah, I I guess it's just supposed to be the capper on what a shit day Susan's having so far. Like, Could be. But yeah, not great. But uh, we cut over from there to uh, we see Carter kind of walking, making his way through the the ER, talking on a giant cell phone, trying to uh, relay to his dad that he got matched at County. Uh, We will I don't think it's here, but a little bit later in the episode, we will get uh, a little bit of verbal confirmation that uh, dad's name is still Roland. Uh, We haven't changed that yet. It'll get retconned eventually, but not here. Uh, Carter's asthma patient is severely anemic, we find out, um, and Carter plans on turfing him on the hematology uh, team. So it's already kind of like going back on his original like pledge to be better and to work, do more for his patients and stuff like that. Now it's like, no, my personal accomplishment takes precedence. I'm going to turf him to somebody else, make him somebody else's problem. <sighs> One step forward, two so steps I can back. go for lunch. Um, Now we have our next audio. It's a bit of a short clip listening party here today. Um, We have Doug and Mark talking about the tumor on Young, uh, on the the Bowman child's leg. He came in for a sore knee. Anyone could have missed that. He could lose his leg. Dr. Green? Dr. Ross? Kathy Snyder, hospital counsel. I asked her to come down. So I guess I'm looking at my first malpractice suit? Not necessarily. It's my understanding that the patient and his family are unaware that the tumor was visible on the earlier x-ray. Yes. There's no legal obligation to make them aware of it. So we don't say anything? What good will it do? Will it change the treatment? No. You comfortable with that? I don't see any advantage in telling them. There is none. So where's the kid? We moved to exam four. Does his grandfather know about the cancer? I haven't told him yet. I'll do it. That's not a good idea. You should disengage from the case. Kathy's right, Doug. I'll handle it. My case, my responsibility. How do we feel about this? I mean, Mark is doing the route, is doing the expected, you know, they don't want to pay out a lawsuit type thing, so cover your ass. Yeah, Mark's, Mark's so, playing the boss. Like, he's. Yeah, he's doing so what I understand where, where both of them are coming from yeah i understand 
it can be right and wrong to tell someone right yeah i understand doug's sort of ethical dilemma around it where he feels responsible and he feels like he should tell them and everything but i don't know at the same time like they they confirm it with several different instances here that like it was a small tumor when it when he came in originally like it was easily missable like it it could it, it doesn't necessarily imply like incompetence or a lack of caring on his part that they missed it they just they see a lot of patients things get missed sometimes you know so it's I don't know it's to me it didn't feel like this big like moral failing on his part to have not diagnosed it originally and like and like they said it's not going to affect the course of treatment it's not going to like he's gonna lose his leg regardless and who's to say that he wouldn't have even if they'd have caught it previously so it's it's just a tough situation it's a sad situation and I I think he's being a little hard on himself I think that's fair on all counts but yeah then we switch over tonal shift to Carol is cleaning off Hugo in the showers and he's singing his heart out and she's just rinsing him down with a power hose and it's it's a very strangely cute moment with the two of them just like oh it's adorable it's not even strange it's adorable <laughs> he's he's just so here for himself and um Jeannie pops in to get her attention I think she said somebody needs a bedpan or something and when Jeannie pops in, Carol turns around, still has the hose on, and just douses Jeannie. And just giggles and laughs like, like, oh, <laughs> oops, and just is giggling. And then Jeannie looks so offended and leaves. And Carol just kind of cackles to herself and continues washing Hugo off. Yeah, I think that's, I think that's where I'm, my, my issue with this is like, Carol is particularly out of character in this episode, I feel like. But it, I, I would laugh. I would laugh nervously if I did something like that to someone, like because I would, I, I can see how it would happen. Like it's not like she knew it was Jeannie when she whipped around. Sure, no, I, yeah, but I don't know. There's just several instances in this episode. There's one, I, one specific one I'm thinking of a little bit later on where she seems to take pleasure in Jeannie's inconvenience, and mm-hmm. it's just, it's just odd. Like she can feel. I feel like she can feel threatened by Jeannie's presence uh, just by nature of her being a PA. Um, which they've they've touched on that they've explored that a little bit and I'm fine with that but I feel like it it's this weird escalation where now it's it's transitioned from feeling some a little bit of professional you know pressure to now it's like schoolyard type stuff where now it's like I'm just gonna torture you and I don't know it's just weird we'll see where they go with it yep so from there we cut over to mark and susan in a small little lounge break room area that i don't think we've seen before question mark you know uh we we, we no. never have. yeah i don't think we've ever seen this room before and i don't know that we see it again afterwards i don't know why they chose to shoot here rather than in the usual lounge but uh regardless uh we noticed there's some dunkin donuts boxes in the background that only say donuts donuts instead of dunkin donuts but they are clearly dunkin donuts colors so meant to evoke that look so i'm wondering i'm wondering which one it is is it that dunkin donuts couldn't afford to get the spot on er anymore or did er lose the dunkin donuts sponsorship these are the type of things i think about um but they're talking about chloe being back in town uh susan says she hasn't told chloe that she's adopting little Susie. um her pager goes off and she screams tells mark to call security up to daycare and we will touch back on that in just a moment um then we go back to carol and hugo for a minute uh carol's helping hugo get all ready to get spruced up and get his clothes and get out of the er um Jeannie comes up and tells her that she that she's needed in uh, that Carol's needed in three because the patient is puking his guts out. Carol suggests she gets an emesis basin, and Jeannie was, responds, that's a nurse's job. For the third time this episode, we're counting. <laughs> and then Hugo cuts his finger on some scissors and will need stitches, and Carol uh, claps back at Jeannie, that's a PA's job. Poor Hugo. I feel bad for... I would say, Hugo is just trying to He's- get... Trying to get... Just trying to get a bath and some clean clothes. He's and, just... He's trying his best. Yeah. Yeah, like, he was using the scissors to tape up his shoes. Yeah. Because they're his favorite shoes or something like that. Um, but then we have Susan bolting up to the daycare with a security officer that she grabbed on the way. And it turns out that Chloe wasn't there at all. It was just little Susie taking her first steps. And the staff wanted Susan to be there to see it. Hmm. And it's a very sweet little moment with little Susie waddling and 
Susan holding her hands and stuff. Very cute. And then Doug pulls Mr. Bowman out into the hall to talk about the tumor and let him know what's going on. He doesn't tell him about the pre-existing discovery, or the misdiscovery, rather. He just tells him about the osteosarcoma and kind of what the prognosis might be. And after that, uh, Benton sees Mr. Bowman on the pay f- on a payphone uh, and walks over to him, and Benton seems horrified, you know, silently. doesn't actually express his horror that they didn't tell uh, Mr. Bowman about the previous findings. And, yeah, we get that's it's that that awkward moment when Benton wants to out White Knight Doug. <laughs> which is a pretty fucking high bar. Doug sets the bar very high for White Knighting. So we cut quickly over from there. Doug has gone up to talk to the oncologist about the ki- getting the kids some treatment. Um, we find out that the Bowman family does not have insurance. Uh, Doug offers to pay five grand out of pocket and work in the oncologist's clinic to cover the uh, estimated $12,000 cost of chemo because America is a hellscape. Uh, the uh, oncologist goes for it, uh, says that Doug's going to work in his clinic for a, uh, one day a week for about four to five months, and that should should square them up. Um, even though the math is a little fuzzy on that because it seems like the hospital would be the one footing. The, I don't know. It's it's a gray area. Definitely didn't make sense to me when we were looking at it. So Carol's talking to the um, to somebody at the admit desk and she's laughing because she's like, oh, you know, Hugo fell after his stitches were done and now Jeannie has to give him stitches on his head. It's like, dude, a guy just split his head open. Can you have some empathy, Carol? Yeah, see, this is what I'm talking about. Like... It's it's both. Yeah, this is this is far for her. It's both. You know, she she doesn't seem to give a shit that Hugo fell and hurt himself, and then also, you know, she seems to delight in the fact that Jeannie's gonna have to do more work behind it. Like it's just it seems unnecessarily like catty and mean from her in a for a character who I don't feel like that applies to usually. She's not usually mean spirited. She's sometimes misguided, but I would never consider her to be mean spirited. Yeah. And then um, we get Susan telling Mark about Susie's first steps. Nothing too big there. They're, they just have a little friend chat about it. Then we, uh, speaking of the Benton White, uh, White Knight train, uh, Mr. Bowman goes to, back to talk to Benton and t- to thank him for the help. And camera stays on Benton for about 10 seconds before he calls, uh, for Mr., calls back for Mr. Bowman and says, I think there's something you should know. And then we cut away again. Benton. <laughs> God damn it. And then we have Mark is with another patient, and this is um, another West Wing uh, alumni, or to-be alumni. This woman is Jordan from the West Wing, and she is also the baker's wife from Into the Woods, for those of you who may care about musicals. And (laughs) Daniel, who is she actually, and what else has she been in? Uh, She's been in a a few things. You kind of have called out her main career highlights, (laughs) um, but... Uh, Sorry. The, no, it's okay. The actress's name is Joanna Gleason. Um, but the probably most interesting thing, which didn't stri- like didn't strike a chord with me or didn't didn't uh, jog my memory, um, but apparently this is her first of three appearances. So apparently we're starting a little mini arc huh. with this uh, this woman. I get so ex- I got so excited when I saw her in West Wing, and then I got so excited seeing her here because I'm like I know that. Face. Oh yeah! As soon as I saw her, I was like I know that face from somewhere, and then I looked at her IMDb and I was like. Mm. Apparently I don't, but she just has one of those faces, I guess. I've just watched the um, the Broadway filmed edition of Into the Woods so many times that she's just ingrained in my brain because it's one of my family's favorites. But um, in here, in ER, back to topic, <laughs> she is a director and producer of infomercials, and she smashed a camera into her eye as they were doing like a, a dolly shot. And at first it seems like she's really thirsty for Mark. And she's like, are your eyes naturally blue? And just, you know, like, just looks like she's coming on to him. And um, Halle's just kind of making faces and teasing him in the background. Because she's like, this is a lot of bullshit. Um, but we'll come back to we'll come back to her later. And then we see Carter's asthma patient um, drop something off for Susan to fax. And is screaming, asking where Carter is. He's like, I've been here two hours. He said he was going to get me some other tests. Where did he go? What's going on? Where's the med student? Like, I've got places to be. What the fuck? What the fuck, indeed. Um, <laughs> That's the spirit. Um, then we have our next audio clip for you. Uh, the the fallout of Benton's decision to out White Knight Doug uh, begins. Dr. Ross? Oh, yeah, good news. I spoke to the oncologist. He can take care of Brent. You missed it and didn't have the decency to tell us. 
They're trying to cover your ass. At least let me set the oncologist up with bread. I don't want you near my boy. I love that man's voice. His voice is like whiskey. <laughs> I like I could listen to him talk all, all day. Also harsh, but fair. Oh yeah, yeah. I mean, I get it from his perspective, but I do feel bad for Doug a little bit because I do feel like he was trying to go a little bit far beyond just co- covering his own ass. Because if he wanted to just cover his own ass, then he would have yeah. just did what the lawyer told him to do and just completely remove himself from the case. Like, blah, dee, dee, dee. But it is kind of a half measure. He could have just come right out and said it at the beginning. But anyway, uh, we cut over from there. Talk about another tonal shift. We cut over from there to we see a... a fancy butler type gentleman carrying champagne and he drops it off at a presidential suite where Carter kind of cracks the door open and we you know theater of the mind we can we can infer that he's naked uh says sorry I don't have anything on me right now can I catch you later meaning the the tip uh scoops the champagne and then shuts the door Uh, and then the the butler guy kind of he flips the uh, the little sign over from the door from like do not disturb to maid service. So, fuck you, Carter. Uh, some I didn't catch yeah, that. Yeah, he does. He, he flips it just ever so gently as he leaves. Flips it over to maid like, service. Like I saw him mess. I saw him mess with the sign, but I wasn't sure what it yeah. was. So thank you. So so much for that being more attentive to your patient's shit from earlier. When I I just I just want to know when we consistently get good Carter. I'm please. Think I'm thinking it please. has to be at the end of the season. I mean, they the the name of the episode is John Carter MD for God's sake. Like I feel like it has to be at the end. Africa. Yeah. That's a long way to go. <laughs> he's technically he yeah. has technically yeah, already left the show season. by the time he's in Africa. <laughs> he's a recurring guest star at that point. He's no longer even on the main cast by that point. That's what I'm saying. But anyway, for now, back in season two, uh, territory. Mark. Um, Mark walks back into his uh, director patient who is doing some posturing and sitting all pretty in the bed to seduce Mark when he comes back in. Or is that is that really what we think? No. Yeah. It looks like that's what she's doing, but okay. we find out there's an ulterior motive. Yeah. Uh, she wants him to promote high blood pressure medication you be, that, that's also being used for male pattern baldness. <laughs> I, heard woman, I heard women find that a sign of virility. <laughs> Who told you that? Some bald guy? Yeah. Uh, I love her so much. Uh, she's great in the West Wing. She's great here. She's just great. I want more Joanna Gleason. But yeah, I love that, that she just calls him out on it. Like, no, that's bullshit. Um, and then we have Carol snacking at the admit desk because she's on her break. And Jeannie comes up and tells Carol to call Hugo a cab because he's ready to go. And that's a nurse's job is to organize transport for for patients leaving apparently so just back and forth you two make up your damn minds and um we find out that carter's asthma patient who is we finally have his damn name mr ledbetter um his tests have come back and he has leukemia not great not great and then uh you want to contrast that with the next scene of carter and harper playing in a giant bathtub full of bubbles naked which looks like a really fun time. It does, but also uh, Carter's pager's going off, and it, it just goes <laughs> whoop into the into the water, and yeah. And, and then he dunks Harper. Like I just want a tub that size to play in. I know, right? <laughs> and they have snacks. It I, looks great. Not even like in a sexy way. Just in it looks like a fun time. Yeah, <laughs> it just looks great. All the bubbles, some rose petals. It looks nice. I want the snacks too. <laughs> Have we talked about the snacks? I don't remember. It looked like maybe like a little charcuterie spread with some veggie sticks. I don't know. I still want I still want Krispy Kremes from our earlier discussion. <laughs> I want cake after you mentioned cake today. Yes. Why would you do this to me? So yeah, basically Carter's just throwing the baby out with the bathwater, so to speak, with his hey. professionalism. <laughs> throwing the pager out with the bathwater. Moving yeah, on. Yeah, moving on. Another tonal shift. We've got another trauma coming in. Little girl who was... Um, playing on a balance beam fell and slammed her neck um shep is mm. shep is just all over riley as they're coming in because riley is um having trouble with spitting out all the vitals uh correctly and shep has just given him like no slack whatsoever seems like he might be taking out a little bit of his uh, baggage out on poor riley here um when they do finally get him into the trauma uh, or get her into the trauma room. Um, Doug is in there, and Benton comes in to try to help, and uh, Doug is just, like, 
doesn't want to obviously you know doesn't want to have anything to do with benton right now so he's pretty cold to him tells him to get out uh mark comes in and sort of starts to play referee and then eventually just kicks benton out of the trauma altogether so we will definitely circle back to this little drama here the patient not so much i don't think we really get much follow-up with the little girl here no um, and then a uh, a blissfully unaware Carter decides to stroll back in from his long lunch break as Jerry is eating a muffin. So let's listen to them. Jerry, I think I was paged. Mm-hmm. Indeed you were. Four times from Dr. Lewis, twice from Dr. Hicks, and twice from hematology. And from Morgan Stern, a Aww. congratulatory basket of muffins. Dr. Morgan Stern, leave a note? Carter! Where the hell have you been? Lunch. For three hours? Long lunch. We left Mr. Ledbetter waiting. I'll go see him now. Oh, don't bother. I admitted him upstairs with leukemia. Leukemia? I, I, I didn't think it was that serious. Yeah, what are you, first year? He had low crit and fatigue and you didn't work him up? Uh, is that alcohol in your breath? Sh- champagne. From your mom and Big Roland. <laughs> Carter, I've been paging you for the last three hours. Sorry, Dr. Hicks. Well, you're in luck. I have an emergency appendectomy in 10 minutes. Kindly scrub it. Dr. Hicks? Dr. Hicks? <clears throat> Dr. Hicks? I better think I not. I think I uh, better not. Why? Well, I went out to lunch to celebrate and had a little champagne. You drank during rotation hours? Uh, yeah. It's bad enough you failed to answer your pages, but the use of alcohol on call is inexcusable. I'm sorry. It's grounds for expulsion. But, but I, I just matched. No one gives a shit, Carter. But I'm a white male. But I'm entitled. <laughs> and what's this about a guy on rollerblades? The guy, so, okay, a few episodes ago, the uh, I think it was the one where Mark came in on his day off. Uh, as he was leaving, we pointed out that there was a guy coming out of the radiology room on rollerblades. And all of us were like, what the fuck? Where was this? Like, that's weird. Now, same guy back still on the rollerblades. He rolls right past um, behind Carter as uh, Hicks is walking away. It's at 3450 on the timestamp if you want to go look at it and tell me what the fuck this guy is doing on rollerblades in the ER. I would really love to know. But God damn it, Carter. Ugh. Also, that little, like, gap in there was Susan just fucking glaring at Carter. She is so ashamed. Like, dude, why? Why would you do that? You just got the biggest the biggest news of your life to this point. Like, why would you then go flush that down the toilet by being an idiot? But at least he has muffins. <laughs> an abundance of them, because uh, we see, yeah. from there, we see Mark scooping another gift basket off the admit desk, presumably for Carter. Uh, Doug mentions, uh, he, he inquires, another basket of treats for our fallen med student? Uh, Doug tells Mark in this same conversation, tells Mark he's going to have to cancel their plans tonight because he has to file an incident report. Uh, and then, uh, as I mentioned earlier, it actually, it was in that audio clip we just listened to. Uh, we heard it from Jerry. Carter's dad's name is still Roland. So we have not retconned that just yet. And then we just get a quick snip of Lydia and Hale walking through the hall and they're talking about the fight between Benton and Doug. And they're both on, uh, whose side did they end up being on? Was it Benton's that the family had the right to know? I want to say you're right. Yeah, yeah, I think you're right. Yeah, but yeah, so they're they're gossiping about that and just shooting the shit. Nothing really um, super meaningful, but just a nice little interaction between the two of them. And then everything has come full circle, and Carter's puking his guts out again in the bathroom. <laughs> Yay! Uh, Mark goes in to check on him, and, and Carter asks Mark, will I lose my match? And Mark is like, I'll see what I can do. And he goes, oh, God, and pukes, pukes some more. I specifically did not get the puking audio for yeah, you folks we to thought spare of, you. We thought about the discussion, but then we realized the retching is very, very potent. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and you're listening to this to, you know, hopefully have some good feelings about the world. Hopefully have a little escapism. Some nostalgia. Don't need don't need people puking in your ears. But yeah, then we have Shep is asking for Carol's help because um, he says, my partner backed over a bum in the parking lot. Jesus Hugo Christ. had been waiting outside for a cab because nobody called him one. And so, yeah, they ran over his foot. Nice. So poor Hugo. His life is terrible and the hospital sucks. And we then flip over to Doug filing his report in the um, 
in the actual lounge, and Benton walks in. And a little behind-the-scenes STT note here, we really thought this was going to be a potent and very important audio clip, so we paused and made note of the timestamp. And then all they do is look at each other and Benton leaves. So we made a goof there, and there will be no audio clip of this because nothing happens. And I noticed here when he's standing by his locker, Eric, Eric LaSalle is really tall. Tall boy. Tall boy. So yeah, nothing happens. They don't confront each other. They just stare, They just glare at each other, and then Benton walks I, away. I kind of like it, honestly. Like, I think it's a nice change of pace, because your expectation, like you said, is you go in thinking, ooh, we're going to get this big blow up, and they're going to be shouting at each other, and it's going to be, you know, thing. And then all instead, you're just forced to sit there with this tension. I think it, it works. Well, yeah, because we've had... We've ha- We've had blow-ups between the two of them yeah. before, so that's why I was, like, expecting it. Like, there was that season one one where that mm-hmm. happened. Um, but then we see Hugo, and he says, My friends were right. This is a dangerous place, <laughs> as he's being wheeled back in. And Jeannie and Carol both promise that they'll take care of him. So maybe this is them kind of giving a truce. Uh, and then uh, some more fallout from uh, Benton's snitching. Uh has a conversation with Mark, so let's give that a listen. I told you not to say anything. Yeah, well, I didn't agree with that. No, you took it upon yourself to tell the family, the ramifications of which affect Doug, me, your colleagues, and the entire hospital. Look, if Ross had caught it four months ago, that kid might not be losing his leg. Now, don't you think the family had a right to know that? That wasn't your decision to make. Oh, so I tell the truth and what, and break some kind of code? This isn't about truth or any kind of code. This is about your guilty conscience. You didn't have the guts to speak up about Busilich, so you blow the whistle on Doug. Truth is a lot easier to tell, and it's not your own career on the line. Hmm. Dropping. He said the quiet part out loud. Dropping truth bombs there, Green. Ugh. There's just so much. Then after that, uh, we have another audio. Uh, this time we get some Shep, uh, some Shep conversation for you. Uh, he's adjusting his leg brace, and uh, Carol comes in to talk to him. Hey, where's your partner? The moron? He's upstairs drinking cocoa. You really shouldn't ride him so hard. Department throws me a rookie. Guess it's their way of punishing me. They're giving you a hard time? They say they would have done the same thing. You don't believe them? What are they supposed to say? Nobody blames you, Shep. I led Raul into that fire. You saved three kids. And I killed my best friend. So he's doing great. Yeah, no problems there. No no unresolved guilt or trauma feelings at all. You know, just fine. Same old ship, just now with a sweet new leg brace. Exactly. It's a nice leg brace. <laughs> he's gone by the end of the season, right? That's what I keep telling myself. Yep, that's what you keep telling yourself. So I'm going to assume that's true. <laughs> So then we go from there to uh, Susan and Doug talking in the lounge. Um, Doug's kind of doing his like his green thing from a few episodes back. Where he's, now he's going back through all of his cases from that original time when the Bowman kid came in. Says he estimates that he probably only gave that kid about 10 minutes of his, t- his time that day. Um, maybe if he'd have given him a few minutes more, he would have caught the tumor. So he's just feeling sorry for himself. Uh, Susan tries to reassure him that he didn't do anything negligent. Uh, and then she heads out. So then we get Mark heads to the jazz bar all by himself, and there I just noticed, fashion watch, there are some very loud ties there as we pan the room. Um, and Mark tries to, like, talk to the woman next to him, and she's really pretty, and he's like, hey, how you doing? And she just, like, rolls her eyes and faces away from him. And then as he's talking to her, his contact falls out. So he starts, he kneels down and starts to look on the carpet for it. Um, and all of a sudden, this woman comes by and is like, Mark? Mark Green? And he's and he looks up at her, like, half squinting, and he's like, Kathy? And so I guess this is somebody from the hospital. It's the, the lawyer from earlier. Oh, thank you. I couldn't place her. But, um, um, but yeah, she's she squats down and helps him look for it. And gross, it's stuck in his goatee. <laughs> and first, first she notes, um, she notes, oh, you have one blue eye and one brown eye. And he goes, okay, yeah, then I guess it definitely did fall out. And she also asks, do you have lens insurance? And it's like, were contacts really that expensive back then? To where losing one would have been this detrimental if you're like a doctor? Probably. I feel like they've come a long way. I mean, he also doesn't, he also might not have his glasses with him, so he can't fucking see without it. But what does that have to do with having lens insurance? Oh, I don't know. (laughs) Yeah. 
that's more what it is, is the fact that she has, she has to do have lens insurance. So, yeah, just weird. Maybe there's a little flame here. Maybe something's going to happen with the two of them. No, nope. it's, it's kind she's of she's gone after this. Episode. I know. It's, <laughs> it's a little it's a little meat cute that makes you think that something's sure. going to happen. No, that's what made me go look was that I was thinking maybe mm, maybe we're going to get a little like if you if you just told me that one of either her or the infomercial person is going to make it out of this episode, I would have said her every time. But nope. Right. All right. And then we get into we're starting to get into the home stretch of the episode. Uh, first off, we're going to lead off with a, one of two audio clips here real quick. Um, first one is Susan getting home and Chloe's outside the apartment waiting for her. Want I have to talk to you. There's nothing oh, more to say. Can I just look at her, please? Stay away from us. Oh, she's so beautiful. She's so big. Has she crawling yet? Or? Chloe, I mean it. I know I can't change what's happened, but let's not fight, okay? I saw a lawyer today. She said I could file for visitation rights. I'm adopting her. She is my baby, Susan, and I want her back. There's a storm a-brewing. Kind of a stunning oh. lack of self-awareness from Chloe there. Like, don't you just, don't you, can't you even step back for, take half of a step back and realize that, you know, you leaving was probably the best thing that ever happened to that kid. Yeah, just, I love that Susan's standing her ground. Yeah, I would have been really pissed pissed if that was the character development from this was that Susan was like, Oh no, it's it's fine, just have little Susie back. I also feel like this is the episode where we've had the most like kind of close up FaceTime with little Susie. She's a cute little baby. Uh-huh. Like we've seen we've we've seen her before, but usually Susan's carrying her. We have to start trying to keep track if it's the same baby or not. Mm-hmm. Or if it's one of the closet full of babies. <laughs> If you haven't listened to our recent uh, interview uh, with Darren with Darren Lee of the props department, <laughs> that comment please. is a lot less garish. If you have, very true. <laughs> yeah. Yikes. Um, then we go into our next scene here. Jeannie uh, goes into Doc Magoo's for some food, and uh, we get a little Boo Linton. Hi. Good day to go. Hey, Peter. Hey. Rough day. You did the right thing. Yeah, well, not according to everybody else. I broke the code. You okay? It's kind of like that uh, boys' club camp. Did my mother tell you everything about me? <laughs> you were what, 12? She said, um, a kid ripped off the equipment fund, showed you the money, you turned him in. Yeah, nobody spoke to me for the rest of the summer. Oh, I thought they broke your nose. Told her I took a curveball. She knew. Yeah, well, I guess you never learn. Will they, won't they? And then we wrap up the episode with Susan reading Goodnight Moon to little Susie in a rocking chair with a bottle. And it's very sweet. Little Susie's half asleep, just got her bottle in her mouth. And Susan's just rocking her. And it's just a very nice moment between the two of them. Nice tone to end the episode on. Yeah. What did you guys think about this one overall? I didn't like it. You didn't like it? Nope. Not a fan of this one. Hmm. I think it's easily the weakest one we've had. It's the weakest one we've had in recent weeks. I thought it was pretty middling. Like yeah. it was, it was fine. I don't think it was a bad one by any we, stretch. But I don't know, it's not bad, but it's definitely, it's definitely the weakest of the ones probably since Hell and High Water. Oh no, I would disagree with that. We had no. a, we had a big oh. dip immediately I, post. That's true. Post uh, Hell and High Water. We just Water. got spoiled with the last. Yeah, couple we we've episodes. been on a big upswing. Coming after Raul's death. Yeah, I did. I still. I I didn't like I think this was very poorly paced. I think there was some very poor character development. I think there was some very poor characterization. I agree. And it was just comp- I think it was just a complete mess. It was a filler. Yeah, I'm going to sta- I'm going to I'm going to stand by that. I think this is a total filler non 
non episode that doesn't need to that doesn't need to exist. That goes to Daniel's point that uh, from previously that the season should only be thirteen episodes. Yeah. yeah, the only big thing I can think that happened this episode, um, we get to see some more Chloe and Carter matches. Mm-hmm. Yeah. They could have easily stuck that in another. Yeah, I would have episode. liked to. I would have liked and to see them do more with Carter's match. Like either draw it out more or dig further into his fucking it up, which I assume they're delaying till next episode. Um, and then I would have, I would have preferred it if they just cut all of the Carol and Jeannie stuff. Like the Carol and Jeannie stuff to me is is the, yes. yeah. that's the part that really stands out the most as being out of place. Um, and I would have done more with. Um, Doug and Mr. Bowman. I like, and part of that's personal bias because I like that actor. But I just would have liked to have seen more mm-hmm. interplay between them than what we got. Yeah, I just feel like it did very little to advance the overall plot. Agreed. Yeah. Which is by is my definition of a bad ER episode. Yeah. It's definitely a step down from last. I mean, last week's was so good. Like, I do feel like this is yeah. this is a, a step backwards. But I don't. I think where I where I veer from you is I, I don't think it's as bad as or as fillery as the ones we got immediately following Hell and High Water. Hell and High Water, we went through a two or three week spell there where it was just like kind of a snooze fest. And uh, this, I don't feel like, I feel like this plants enough seeds that it keeps me interested. Um, but it's definitely, like you said, there's some things in here that are tonally and, and structure wise just kind of a mess. But when you're doing 22, 23 of these a season, there's bound to be one or two stinkers. Well, we're coming into the home stretch. We got five episodes left in in this season. So. I'll tell you one thing: all these filler episodes, not necessarily for the episodes themselves, but just for what they mean to the season as a whole, has me really excited for the um, season wrap up. I feel like we'll have a lot of good things to talk about as far as taking taking stock of the season as a whole, especially when compared to season one. All right, well, that's about going to wrap up our episode for today. Thank you all very much for listening, as always. This show is brought to you in part by our patrons over at patreon.com slash podcast. For only a dollar a month, you can get access to our show notes each week. For only $5 a month, you can get access to the full season recap episodes, a free sticker featuring our favorite desk clerk, Jerry, and once our stretch goals are met, you'll also get access to a monthly bonus show called The Lounge, where we'll talk about whatever's going on for us in our in our lives and pop culture in that moment, as well as monthly movie commentaries where we watch and talk about a movie featuring an ER cast member. We would also appreciate it if you would follow us on our social media accounts. We are at SetTheToneER on Twitter. We are on Facebook at Facebook.com slash Podcast, And we are at SettingTheTonePodcast on Instagram. Our theme music is provided to us by Andrew Edwards of Blue Police Box Music. And Daniel, where can folks find you at? They can find me on Instagram at dan.u, that is y-o-u dot e-l. They can also find me on my other podcast, The Popular Court, with uh, my co-host that we've name-dropped no less than 10 different times in this episode, Jake Terrell, uh, who uh, he and I do a different uh, pop culture topic in each episode and put it through a little mock trial. And Lauren, where can folks find you at? I don't have anything quippy for my personal Twitter this week, but you can find me at Twitter at lowbob92345. And also, quick thank you to those of you who have been rating and reviewing us on iTunes. It really helps us reach a larger audience, and we greatly appreciate it. Seconded. Uh, you can also find me on Twitter. I am at randomgamer, that's J-A-M-3-R, uh, as well as on the Popular Court's YouTube channel, doing a Let's Play of Mass Effect Andromeda. Uh, new episodes of that are out every Friday. Simply search the Popular Court on YouTube, and the channel should pop right up for you. Uh, Thanks again, everyone, very much for listening, as always. Please join us again next time, and have a great week. Bye.